Hello and welcome to episode two of the North Section podcast. My name is Fraser Kearns and I will be your host. This week we're looking into the broad career of Sir Alex Ferguson with a slight focus on his managerial career at Aberdeen, which was an article contributed to us by Ross Kelvington, who joins me this evening. Ross, how are you? No, I'm fine, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. And uh, would you like to share some of your good news that you had recently? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, people keep asking me, and I'm like, good news? What, what good news? But uh, no, yeah, I'm uh, currently writing a book on the 1998 World Cup, uh, which is you know, hopefully going to be due out in, this seems a long way away now, but it's going to come in pretty fast, um, July 2023 kind of coinciding with the um, 25th anniversary of the tournament. So it kind of fits in quite well timing-wise. Um, so, yeah, I'm just kind of starting, I'm doing the research and getting a few interviews in the next couple of weeks just to kind of get the ball rolling. And then hopefully it'll just kind of write itself as I, as I go on. Brilliant. And you've had some interviews with people to gather some research. I don't know how much you can give away at this stage, but some interesting I yeah, I've I've had I was speaking to Barry Davis a, a few weeks ago. He was a he was a fascinating character. To everyone's obviously heard the voice and um, seen the moments on. I say heard the moments on telly. Um, so actually getting to it wasn't even an interview. It was just me mentioning a couple of points and just letting him go on to the kind of most wonderful tangents, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, so good to get a few quotes off him and. I said I've got a few lined up in the next couple of weeks. So here's hoping they just keep coming. Brilliant. Well, we'll be happy to give that a, a wee plug on our channels and podcast when it gets nearer the time. Um, so, yeah, so Sir Alex Ferguson, what of him, kind of one of these things where uh, it's probably easiest to start right at the start. Just a brief history of his playing career. Uh, in 1959, he made his debut for Queen's Park away to Queen of the South and uh, there's a romantic in me which always likes seeing these kind of links to Queen's Park just because of their influence obviously in the early stages of not just the game in Scotland but worldwide so when there are these links players that they've brought through that you hear about which came through Queen's Park I always like to hear that most recent example of course being Andy Robertson but uh, yeah I didn't actually know that Fergie Fergie had started with them and then in uh, 1965, he nearly won the league as a player for Dunfermline. Um, he was, I think it's fair to say, he was quite unfortunate in his Dunfermline career. He started with them just after they'd won the Scottish Cup. They nearly won the league in 65, and they won the, the Scottish Cup the season after he left. But that league season was something I didn't know about. He, so he played for Dunfermline that season. And that was the season Kilmarnock actually won it, which preceded Celtic's nine nine in a row. Kilmarnock won the won the one before that. Hearts were second on goal average. And Dunfermline were only a point behind those two. So the last day of the season, this is where you get into the kind of Wikipedia rabbit holes. You're like, oh, I didn't even know that. Let's see how the league table finished. And then you're in. But Kelly actually uh, played Hearts on the last day. And it was goal average, not goal difference. So it was their average goals per game, and they needed to beat Hearts 2-0 on the last day to win it, and they did. Uh, so 
yeah, it just shows the fine margins, but then Dunfermline were only a point behind them. So some title race, really unfortunate there. And it's not the last time in this pod that we'll probably mention a, a, a Hawks last day painful defeat in the league for them. Um, and then 1967, he signed for Rangers. And again, probably unfortunate, no, no honours in his time at Rangers. And just to kind of summarise his career, I was looking at the stats and it's 171 career goals in 317 games. So by all accounts, a good player, but his career was not that decorated in terms of trophies, which is, of course, something he compensated for. But I think it's fair to say it was an unfortunate time at Dunfermline, narrow misses and uh, an unfortunate time in his time to play for Rangers due to Celtic's dominance at that time. Yeah, I think it was a... Obviously, a good career, but not one that's going to be looked back on as kind of spectacular, um, especially with everything that kind of followed in his managerial career. And anyway, um, yeah, I think I think he was kind of unlucky at Rangers as well. Um, I say unlucky. I mean, kind of sixty-five thousand uh, was the feed at the bottom from from Dunfermline. Um, which was, a, I think it was the highest transfer fee between two Scottish clubs at the time. Um, but I think it was kind of marred by, obviously he was married to, uh, his wife was Catholic, which obviously back then is not, um, uh, me personally, obviously I don't think things like that should really matter, but we're talking about the late 60s here. Uh, Rangers, obviously everyone knows the history. Um, so I think it's kind of, Rangers career ended in a, a bit of a sour note. Who knows, he might have stayed on a few years longer. I suppose he was approaching the end of his career, but um, after Rangers, he went to, went to Falkirk and then finished off at air. And then that was, that was but I think he was kind of already set his sights on going into management fairly early on uh, in his playing career. And I think the, kind of, the gates just kind of opened for him after his career at air kind of finished. Yeah, so yeah, just to quickly name drop all the clubs he played for. So it was Queen's Park first, and then there was actually St Johnston in between his move to Dunfermline, his years at Dunfermline, Rangers, Falkirk, and then Air United. And yeah, you mentioned uh, his film. Uh, sorry, you didn't mention his film. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, incident with his wife and what a Rangers director had asked him. And that was actually in one of the uh, the trailers for his film, which is coming out. And uh, we'll play just a wee clip of that now. What do you remember about Saturday, 5th of May, 2018? I'm service. My dad, he's uh, collapsed. The greatest British manager ever. What's his name, please? Alexander Ferguson. I was crying, you know, because I don't remember a thing. He just put his head in his hands and went, oh, I hope there's nothing wrong with my memory. The champions of England. There better be nothing wrong with my memory. And then he just started telling me these stories. It's a fact of life and where we come from is important. I come from Govan. I'm a Govan boy. My apprenticeship as a toolmaker helped me, I think, in understanding people. So, yeah, he did uh, get he did get into management quite early, as you say. He was kind of, obviously one eye on it, so he got right in. Just at the age of 32, he became the East Stirling manager. Um, was only there for a short time before joining St Mirren. Uh, sorry, 1974 at the age of 32. And then later on in 1974, I think it was October, 
he, uh, he joins Mirren, where he, he spent a number of years, uh, got his first silverware St Mirren manager, albeit the, the um, promotion to the first division from the second division. And then that same season, he actually turned Aberdeen down. Um, and then, but of course, <laughs> he would then go on to join them just, just a year later. Um, and, and then that was obviously the start of uh, a historic period for Aberdeen. Yeah, I think uh, starting off right at the bottom is probably the best way to go. I think sometimes it's the only way to go. I think you see a lot of managers these days, like a Lampard and uh, Pirlo, kind of obviously club legends, um, kind of getting thrust into the, the first team managerial uh, roles and well, let's be honest, they've not exactly set the world on fire. I mean, sometimes there's an exception that it does happen. But I think back then it was a case of kind of starting at the bottom of the ladder and pressing, working your way up. Um, so I, I think he did, he did pretty well at Easter. And I mean, I think he had nine uh, first-team players when he, when he went there. Then he had a goalkeeper. So, I mean, what bigger challenge is that when you first start your career in management? Um, plus, he was kind of so he was running a pub at the same time as well. So, I mean, there's a kind of lot going on for him. Uh, but again, as I said before, I think he always knew, probably in his mind, he knew he was going to be a success in management. He just kind of needed the right club. Uh, so when kind of Sidman came along, I think that was uh, the kind of building blocks for him in his career uh, to kind of just put, yeah, I think St. Mirren was like the building box just to keep his eye and let people kind of know who he was. Like, like sort of like Aberdeen, Rangers, Celtic, and the bigger clubs circling around. Um, and as you say, kind of, he done pretty well there and turned down Aberdeen as well before obviously going on to sign for them in 19... Well, obviously signed for them, going to manage them in 1978. And that's where his kind of legacy starts. Yeah, it's always interesting, actually, just because you mentioned his pub. That always interests me, like, obviously, back in those days, wages might not have been the same how players... Uh, you know, I, I don't think it was that uncommon for players to have a pub. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, like, Jim Baxter had a pub at one time. He's actually in a, this photo that I've got up. Uh, that's uh, some of the, I think, the Rangers team at the time in, uh, in Ferguson's pub on the Paisley Road yeah. West. I don't know, what I can't remember what pub that actually is now. I, I have been told before. But yeah, that's definitely, that's Baxter and Greg, uh, Alex McDonald. Uh, excuse me, I can't remember the rest off the top of my head, but I think it was all Rangers players. Yeah. So yeah, like, I always wonder, like, you know, was that him planned for the future? Did he keep it into management? When did he realise that you maybe didn't he need to do that? Like, I'd be interested to know a wee bit about the history of that uh, when I can. Uh, but yeah, just thought I'd share that. So yeah, um, and then as, as time kind of starting in Aberdeen, like um, many teams on who are kind of progressing, are gonna they're gonna start to get to latter stages of cups. Um, but it's it's always one of these things when you get to these games, it's still painful to lose, and you're still criticised for losing them just the same. You know, and some in some cases almost criticised even more because you get to that final stage. So he, he tasted defeat in the Scottish Cup semi, uh, in in a League Cup final before he he won what was then the Dryborough Cup, which I think was just a a pre-season friendly. Is that right? A kind of friendly tournament. 
Yeah, it was a kind of one of those. I think there was a lot of tournaments like that, like sixties, seventies, eighties, um, you know, like the Anglo Italian Cup and, and kind of things like that. I don't, I don't know. Maybe just for like the older generation, I said I'm not really um, too kind of clued up on stuff like that. But I thought it was quite interesting that you more than likely took the Driver Cup fairly seriously. Like finals played a hand in, um, so it just kind of psychological, like for psychological reasons, just winning something at Hamden with that kind of group of players and his first, well, he's, he's in his first year, I'm sure. Um, probably just going to set the benchmark for, look, if you can do it here, you can do it in Scottish Cup finals, League Cup finals, and obviously winning league titles. And I think that was the kind of mark of the man that he treated probably every competition the same. Go out and win it. If you're in it, you need to win it. And I think that's what made him so... Uh, successful and then obviously he won he, in his second season it was Aberdeen's second ever league title I mean that was a massive kind of another massive, massive watershed moment for not only Fergie but for Aberdeen as well um, just to kind of again prove to everyone that they were a team that could go on for the next kind of five six years and uh, dominate as they did Yeah, I always think it's quite interesting when um, you know you, you get what's called like cup teams. That's people how people refer to them, cup teams. And in a sense, like Ferguson, we'll we'll kind of just discount the driver of the cup for for the time being because it was a friendly tournament. Ferguson actually won the league before he won one of the domestic cups. Now a lot of people always kind of associate natural progression as or you might win you might win a cup, but it takes that consistency to win a league. Comparisons could probably be made to like Gerard at Rangers now, for example, um, who's kind of done it in the same order. He's criticised for for his his cup performance, but he's actually got the the, the bigger prize first. But you do again, it comes back to his cup teams. You get teams that are just don't perform in cups, and sometimes you get teams that do. And then uh, I suppose the progression for Fergie will obviously come to this. I'm skipping ahead a bit, but. He, he would win league and cup doubles or win, or win cup doubles. And then that that's, I think, is a kind of signifier. It makes a bit of a distinction. A team that can win a league and cup double actually shows we've got that even higher level of consistency where we've not lost on our day in the cup and we've had the consistency to win a league championship. However, um, so yeah, but just to kind of go through, so yeah, ni- 1980, Won the league uh, very close race. I think finished a point above Celtic. Nineteen eighty two, cup final beat Rangers convincingly four one Scottish Cup final that is, which subsequently qualified them for the nineteen eighty three European Cup Winners Cup, and uh, I think we all know what happened there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, again kind of winning that first title was probably the catalyst for everything that happened uh, in the next six years. But I think, I think the key thing, it's quite interesting being, again, his kind of psychological tactics and poise that he had for, not even just Aberdeen, but just kind of like Man United as well. Um, but I think he said to his Aberdeen players, look, can go down to Ibrox and Celtic Park and can prove that you can win. Do you know I mean? It's like he almost created, like it was kind of like a, a siege mentality, which... Naturally, obviously, the papers and the media were 
bias towards the country's two biggest teams. Yeah, I think he just wanted to kind of break through that and just kind of make I'll make everyone aware that there was a new team coming. And let's be honest, Aberdeen were probably the most dominant force in Scotland up until Graham Souness appeared at Rangers. Not that there's any doubt about that. And that was all down to, to Fergie. Yeah, I always think that's interesting, actually. And um, we, of course, did the, the Dundee Derby pod, um, which, which included a segment on Jim McLean, who, of course, was a, I, think, I think it was Ferguson that said McLean was one of his biggest, or, or his, his biggest nemesis in football. And people talk a lot about Dundee United and Aberdeen at the time, but I, I do sometimes like to kind of stress that Celtic actually did win, I think, three league titles in the 80s. Rangers won two towards the latter stages. Um, and, and that's not to kind of discredit Dun- Dundee United, but I, I think they're, um, if we were being maybe a bit cruel to Jim McLean and compare Fergie and McLean, Fergie just managed to get that wee bit more success in terms of league championships and certainly Scottish Cups. Um, I think McLean beat him on, on League Cups. Um, but, yeah, it, it was, a, it was a, kind of a different, a different dynamic back then. Yeah, it's, uh, for sure. It's, it was quite a... I think they got on pretty well. I think they kind of seen each other as obviously healthy competition and kind of Aberdeen and Dundee United, well, they were labelled the new firm, weren't they? Do you know what I mean? They had two sides that were kind of challenging the the job boy of Rangers and Celtic at the time. And I remember uh, reading a book called The Management, uh, Michael Grant wrote it, and focusing on kind of Scottish managers uh, past and present. And it was interesting, the section on Ferguson and him and Clean had like, I don't know if it was week or month, where like five aside games between the Aberdeen and the Dundee United staff. And it, it, Ferguson was so, such a sore loser, even if his Aberdeen staff got beat, there'd always be a part of the return legs next week. And Jim's like, Pacani, we've got games. He's like, no, no, return leg next week. And it was just, this would just be a constant thing until Aberdeen won. And then that was it, it was shut off. But no, I think, I think they kind of spurned each other on and kind of pushed each other to, be better than not better than what they were but better than Rangers Celtic at the time and I think McQueen got that bit of um, competitive urge as well seeing how good that Aberdeen side was and he again maybe going off on a tangent here but that United side was equally as good as the Aberdeen team at the time Yeah I think um, yeah I think that's something that's definitely clear is that they both had that uh, mentality it was because the Rangers Celtic when you look back and kind of obviously everyone knows it's well documented that ever since that period Rangers Celtic won the league but the the decade before the 70s belonged to Rangers and Celtic as well and then it was only before that in the 60s we've talked about it again on the pod of Dundee and, and Kilmarnock we've just talked about Kilmarnock so but <laughs> and then you look kind of wartime and pre-war again it's like Rangers Celtic so so it is really you know, with like a, a large period, kind of interrupted, the, the 80s kind of interrupted a wee bit, you know, along with kind of intermittent interruptions in other decades, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
so yeah, it really was this this attitude, and uh, yeah, as I say, I'm, I'm we've we've praised Jim McLean to the high heavens, and it's not as a means of comparing the two, but it maybe as just to look at Fergie. And the point I always try to make to people is that if you took even if you took away his man U career, right, like what he achieved in that time at Aberdeen, certainly in terms of Scotland, is like monumental. So in our game, we are Scottish football enthusiasts. He'd be up there anyway, regardless of you know what he achieved after. Um, and the European success is another thing. Again, fine margins. McLean, uh, you know, if we're comparing, got to European final, and Fergie just managed to to bring it home in '83. I think we'll look at that run uh, just a wee bit just now. So just to kind of just a quick run through the teams that they actually faced uh, on the way. Sion, Dinamo Tirana, Poznan, Bayern Munich, Watershithor, pronunciation may not be correct, and then of course Real Madrid in the final. And I think they're still the last team to beat Real in the European final. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. That's a good one. Uh, I'm trying to Get my memory in Guinness, if I can remember, but now I think you are. That's, that's a mental start, actually. I think I was. I think I had. I never thought about that before. I'd, I think that was a pub quiz or maybe a Zoom quiz at the start of lockdown yeah, or something. I learnt that one, but because I'm sure Liverpool beat them in the European Cup, I think that was eight to one. Um, so yeah, that I think yeah, I think you're definitely right with that. But that's just how how good a team kind of mentally as well go with Real Madrid, go toe-to-toe with the kings of Europe. Um, and even even going to extra time, I think, playing that game, it's a cup final, it's a one-off match. I mean, anyone's got a chance. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't believe this kind of, ah, yeah, there are strong teams in cup finals, but if you compare that to kind of league duty, um, I think that when you're playing a cup final or a cup game, I think sometimes kind of fates in the other team's hand. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's open. Um, well, I think that that's kind of, yeah, I think that's always interesting. And it comes back to this theory of cup teams. But I think that's an interesting point uh, in like Stephen Scrag's wonderful randomness of European Cup Winners' Cup. Yeah. So that was a great. cup competition made of cup winners. And I've talked about the theory of cup teams. So although that it was like prestigious, and it was prestigious, it was still you know, second in command to European Cup. If you finished yeah. second in the league and won the cup, you went into the Cup Winners Cup rather than UEFA. So it was second in command, but as we know, cup winners uh, can be quite random. So there was this kind of mix of high prestige and absolute random randomness as well. I'll give you an example again. Uh, credit Stephen Scraggs European Cup Winners Cup book, but I, I was mind blown when I read these two things. So on the subject to Real Madrid. Real Madrid B, as we know for many years, have played in the lower leagues of Spain. They won the Copa del Rey once and were in the Cup Winners' Cup. Real Madrid B. And I was like, what the hell when I was reading that? And then another one was something mental, like Newport County, although they play in the English uh, pyramid, they still competed in the Welsh Cup and they won the Welsh Cup and got to the quarters of the Cup Winners' Cup and they were in... I don't know what tier, second or third tier in England at the time. Ah, it's, it's, it's just it's crazy. It's just, it's just one of those kind of, again, I'll, I'll 
both me and you are not. I can vaguely remember the last final. I think it was Lazio and Mallorca. Vaguely remember watching that. But I mean, that was the kind of only recollection I have of the Cup Winners' Cup. And I said, like, Stephen's book's just absolutely brilliant. I think being Rangers fans, we've got that kind of. Uh, the Cup Winners' Cup's kind of unique to us. That, well, we went, we went to the final three times, obviously winning it in 72. Um, but no, I think, as you said, there's just so many, even in the season that Aberdeen won it, I think the quarterfinals, can't remember all the teams, but obviously had Aberdeen, Bayern, Barcelona were there, Inter Milan were there. These are three of the biggest teams in European history. And obviously the draw kind of opened up for Aberdeen when Inter and uh, Barcelona got knocked out. But it's just, they kind of don't make, it's, the game's totally changed. I know that's a, a topic for a, another day, but um, I think back then a lot of teams could win a European trophy. Whereas I think now there's just a kind of select core group. For example, at the European Cup, I mean, there's only really, what, 10 to 12 teams that could arguably win that. You're not going to get a Porto winning that again. Me, I don't think in the next ever many years. I think the game's just totally changed. Um, but back then, I think it was kind of harder to win. Yeah, no, it... anyway, anyone could turn up on the day. As I said, who would have predicted Real Madrid even like three, four years previously to be defeated by Aberdeen in a major European Cup competition final? I mean, you would never ever think of that at all. No, all sorts of reasons as well, yeah. Like, for example, in those days, there were all cup competitions. So it was knockout. And, um, like, I don't think seeding was as, like, prevalent as well. I yeah. think it was more of an open draw. So you could get, like, a, for example, I'll just use Real and Bayern because they're two teams we mentioned. You could, they could face in the first round. I'm fairly sure. And, yeah, it just wasn't as, like, you know, Basically, well, how I perceive what happened was money from television started going into big nations and then lower teams and big nations could then afford the best talent and then that meant the best talent wasn't in Europe. So they increased the places for these teams. And this is why I think UEFA, going off on a bit of a tangent now, but are, are a bit hypocritical on this whole Super League thing. I, I'm against it, right? But here in UEFA, I have moans about it. I'm a bit like, hmm, because I think they're annoyed they never thought of it first. Now, they make a distinction because they still say, oh, well, we, we still give places. It's not like the Super League would be a closed shop and and, and, and the Champions League isn't technically, but 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 it basically is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Nice. Um, and, yeah, you're right. Again, Champions League, especially these days, there's a core group that can win it and everyone else is like even getting to the latter stages is like a wild card now it's going to be the big nations it's a surprise and then and then the ones who do break the mold are like your PSG in Man City like multi 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 millions so um yeah it's not it's not as exciting and I, I say that as someone who's basically been the Champions League's had non-champions in it since I've been watching it but and I, I don't think it'll ever go back to that but I I would like I think it's a kind of arrogant point of view that people and these big nations begin to have that our teams should be in. Um, I, I, what I would like to see, and it will never happen, is take some places off England, Spain, Germany, Italy, and then just distribute it down as a, as a short-term move. 
and then and maybe in another 10 years take another place on distribute and then over time that wealth will distribute more evenly across nations do you know what i mean and, and that will that will help i would rather see teams like red star belgrade who have won the european cup before still competing at that level olympiakos who are multiple times greek league winners you know going to the quarter semis and facing off against Barcelona and stuff like I would love to, love to see that. I know that that's not for everyone, but that's just my opinion anyway. No, nah, I think you're spot on with, with that, and I echo those kind of thoughts as well. I just um, again, it's it's not going to go back to kind of what it was, obviously, as just the European Cup, which again was kind of natural, and the, the TV money was coming in and like that kind of post nineteen ninety two. Watershed with Sky getting obviously Premier League and stuff. It was just after that, everything just kind of skyrocketed. Um, but I mean, that's just that's just football now. It's just it's just a business. It's just money. Uh, look at as you say, look at the owners. Uh, the majority of teams are obviously. I think the Germans have got the right way. Uh, the fifty plus one rule when nobody can kind of come in and just start hanging out money straight away. I mean, it still has to be obviously the majority of it's fan led. I think that's an excellent way to go. But I mean, England, it's never going to be like that in England. Yeah, I think um, you, could, you could probably say the, the, the Super Cup win was maybe not, not bigger, but more of a kind of achievement due to Hamburg just well, being the defendant, the European Cup winners. Uh, Hamburg had an excellent team back then. Uh, I mean, some of the players in it. And I think. It was over two legs. I can't remember the exact score, but it wasn't tight. I'm sure Aberdeen won it fairly comfortably. Um, so again, that was just again another another game and another trophy that meant Ferguson was where he wanted to be with that Aberdeen side. And I think obviously they didn't win the league in 1983, so never got the shot at the European Cup. But like the following year, sorry. Um, I think a lot of Aberdeen fans and could probably lay claim to say that the season after the one the Cup Winners' Cup was probably one of their best ever. I mean, they won the league, won the Scottish Cup, as you said, the, the Super Cup, and they were so close to retaining the Cup Winners' Cup, um, getting defeated in the semi-final by Porto, I think it was. Uh, I mean, that's just a, a cracking achievement for just a club any size three trophies um, kind of being close to repeating or retaining your your European crown that you won the season before um, so I think I think a lot of fans would probably say that's on par if not better than the previous season and I think that's when Fergie um, kind of probably knew he was destined for maybe greater things where a lot of English teams were kind of approaching them I'm sure Wolves approached them at the time uh, I think he turned them down. I'm sure, there was rumours of Tottenham as well. Uh, I, I think I think he, he knew in his in his heart that there was only one job he was kind of wanting or he was after, and it would obviously come sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we'll just run through that second cup winners cup run. It's not as glamorous. The names involved, uh, so they beat a, an Icelandic team. Um, I, I, I don't know how you pronounce this. Go and try and pronounce it. Try and pronounce it. I prota bandalag acrones. That sounds right. Let me share my screen with you, right? And I'll show you what. 
<laughs> they're just called IA, yeah. and to be fair, I can kind of see why they uh, why yeah. they adopt that. They just go by <laughs> IA. That's good. I'll stick with that then. The BIA <laughs> from from Iceland, uh, Beveren from Belgium, Uspest Dova uh, from from Hungary. I believe they're from Budapest. And then that, that takes to semi. And that's another thing at the time as well, the size of these European tournaments, the only two or three wins from like the latter, latter stages. Yeah. Um, and then Porto, yeah, of course, their, their famous European name. So yeah, came close again. So yeah, came close again. What I don't know so much about is obviously the one three leagues in this time. And and we remember the Cup Winners' Cup and it's always that thing in football, you don't remember the losses. So I actually don't know a lot about Aberdeen's uh, running the European Cups during during that decade. I don't know if you do. Uh, the first when they won the first league title, so eight days. So that was the next season. So eight eight to one. I'm sure they were. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty positive it was uh, they were drawn. This is as I said the kind of the lack of seedings and just how important it was to you, you could get anyone in that kind of first round. Um, so they played Liverpool, and that season Liverpool went on to win it. And I think Aberdeen were defeated. It was either four or five nil at Anfield, and I think that was a kind of moment as well. For uh, that's the stage that Ferguson and his Aberdeen Aberdeen team wanted to be on, um, and I think that this kind of love affair with the European Cup probably started then. Um, it was his first proper crack at it, and. They were up against the best Liverpool team. That, that kind of era, seventies and eighties, they were just unstoppable. Um, I think I think it was a draw. No, sorry, I think they got defeated one 0 in Petrodri. You'd have to check that. I'm not one hundred percent. But uh, I think it was a kind of baptism of fire in regards to winning the European Cup. Um, I'm trying to think. I can't actually remember much of the next eighty four, eighty four, eighty five, or eighty five, eighty six. I should have looked that up, to be honest. Um, I don't think they went further than the quarters your time. Or it kind of would have just stuck in my head, if you know what I mean. Um, so I think that was probably one of his biggest regrets at Aberdeen, not giving or having a better shot at going quite far. Because his team showed what they can do in the Cup Winners Cup, beating Real Madrid, beating Bayern Munich. These were teams that, pers- that personally should have been in the, the European Cup at the time. Um, so, I mean, it, can it, if, he, if he got it maybe a bit better, it, I'm not saying he would have won the European Cup as a team manager, but I reckon he would have done a lot better than the record suggests. Yeah, so it's interesting. So, yeah, we talk about that kind of nation, uh, natural progression where you win a cup. I suppose it applies to Europe as well. You win the league before you ever win a cup, but then you're in the European Cup. Obviously, evidence shows, yeah, second round v Liverpool, they got by a team called Austria-Memphis in the first round. Uh, and then second round was Liverpool. I wonder if that started, uh, <laughs> planted a, a negative seed yeah. in his mind that he that he wanted to put right years later. Uh, and then they're in the 1981-82 UEFA Cup, got to his third round to their 1982-83 Cup Winners' Cup. We know about, Cup, uh, won the Super Cup off the back of that, 84 semis. And then 84, 85 back in the European Cup with a first round exit. And then 85, 86 uh, back in the European Cup and got to a quarter final playing Gothenburg uh, and lost on away goals. So 
that might have been the one that was. So, yeah, quite quite yeah. impressive European resume uh, du- during that period. Yeah, I think, as I said, that uh, I wasn't even the eighty-five, eighty-six. I didn't know when I got as far as the quarterfinals. But I mean, Gothenburg were a good team at the side at the time as well. Uh, they won the UEFA Cup in nineteen eighty-two, and obviously would go into defeat. Um, then United and UEFA Cup in eighty-seven, I think it was. So I mean, kind of no shame. I, I think at that time, can people say there's no easy games now? But I mean, back then. It was obviously, teams were champions in their own country, so they weren't just kind of getting on and making up numbers. That was the way it was. I mean, if you're champions of Iceland or Bulgaria, you were, you were in the European Cup. So, especially the away trips. I think what the kind of Eastern European away trips were, were tough um, for a lot of teams from kind of Western Europe. Um, but no, I think, I, th- I, think, I think you're right. I think that uh, second round defeat to Liverpool probably put in the back of his mind that one day he was going to kind of knock them off a perch, which, well, they eventually did. Absolutely. And uh, I just want to ask your opinion on something as well. Uh, in 1983, so that was an interesting year. Obviously, United won the league that year. I say obviously, for those who have listened to us before and are into the Scottish football, Dundee United won the league. But it's funny to think that that's actually the year Aberdeen won the Cup Winners' yeah. Cup. Didn't get league championship that season, but won the Scottish Cup in between, uh, or or after winning the Cup Winners' Cup rather. So we talked about um, again just to kind of make a comparison of of the margins. We talked about Jim McLean had the two legs of the UEFA Cup final either side of the Scottish Cup, and ended up losing losing both of those cups. And Alex Ferguson lost the league that season. Won the Cup Winners' Cup and had the, the Cup Final in 1983 against Rangers. I think it was just the, the weekend after winning the Cup, if I'm not wrong. The 1 1 now, and he had this rant. I'll just play it for us now. Alex Ferguson, many congratulations winning the Scottish Cup for the second year, but it was close. The luckiest team in the world. Or a disgrace of performance. Were you surprised by the way that Rangers Norm, played? Norman won a cup for Aberdeen. Norm, Norman McLeish played Rangers themselves. A disgrace of performance. But I'm okay in winning cups, doesn't matter. Their standards have been set long ago and we're not going to accept that from any Aberdeen team. There's no way can we take any glory from that. Can you give a reason for the disappointing performance then? Ah, uh, uh, couldn't you? What's your opinion on that, Ross? Obviously, it displays a certain level of high standards. Yeah, I, I think if I was a, a member of the Aberdeen team, I'd feel pretty hard done by, to be honest. I mean, they've just won a European trophy. They've just beat Rangers in a cup final after extra time. What, not even a week after the European one? I mean... I do understand it from a case uh, he's setting these standards at Aberdeen and he doesn't want to kind of relent them, especially not to Rangers or Celtic. So I can understand it, but I think the, I think there's times where you kind of go, that's probably just a step too far. I mean, I've always kind of read that kind of praise publicly and criticise privately. Do you know what I mean? I think I didn't have anything good to say at the time. Kind of leave it 
go in the change room, say what you want in the change room. That's just that nobody else is going to hear it. Um, but I think I'm sure he apologised the day after. But from reading what I kind of few of the players' accounts, it was a uh, it was pretty reluctant. A pretty reluctant apology. I mean, that's just Ferguson's character, isn't it? I mean, he's if he's got something set in store, set in his mind, then he's usually right. You kind of kind of blame him for that. Everybody makes mistakes, and I think that was probably if it's sort of, if there's one kind of clip that sums up Ferguson, especially his kind of early managerial career. That's it. That should get shown to people, just to show how high he set the standards for his team. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it, it does. It displays two things. For the first is that absolute winner's mentality, because it's not something everyone has, and that is your standards need to be top all of the time. Even if you've won, if you've no one in the right way, or you let standards drop, because that'd cause a concern for him for maybe future events. But then, yeah, when when I do think about it, I think like, nah, come on, you've got to enjoy the success a wee bit. But do you know what I heard? And I cannot remember where I heard this, and it's going to annoy me. But it was a man new player, and he was on a podcast, um, and he said that Fergie, like, even when they won the like the Premiership, I think it might have been like Rio. Rio Ferdinand on a podcast on the on the high performance podcast. That was it. Ferdinand was on that. And he said Manu would like win the Premier League and they would get the bus back to Old Trafford. They'd like just win the league in a away game or something, get the bus back and uh, like it'd be low key as in and Fergie'd be like, right, uh, see you at training in a couple of days, not no like celebrations on and stuff. It'd be like getting your cars. And I was like, yeah, I've, I've... like as if it was normal. I think Paul Scholes might have mentioned it on uh, Robbie Fowler's podcast as well. And I'm sure like when they qualified for a Champions League final to play Chelsea, Chelsea were like all celebrating once they'd won the semi and Man U went. Like Man U was like all focused on the final sort of thing. Um, Again, it's a mentality to be admired, but I always think, where do you draw that line in terms of allowing yourself to enjoy an achievement? <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, no, uh, I'm having a beer because I'm thinking oh, I'm doing a podcast and I've, you know, I've had a good week rewarding <laughs> myself. So maybe I draw it slightly under where Fergie does. But... No, I think I think I think you're pretty much spot. I mean, there's just there's, there's a kind of fine line between genius and kind of madness, and that's just. He is obviously a genius, and in my eyes, the kind of the greatest there's ever been. But I mean, that's can, how many how many teams have kind of won the English top flight title three times in a row? I think it's Arsenal, Huddersfield. Um, I think Liverpool have done it in the seventies and eighties, and Man United. Apologies if I've left it out, but I'm sure that's that's it. And I think Ferguson's the only manager to have done it because. The previous team's managers can they left um in, in between runs. And you know he never only done it once, he done it twice. The, the, the talk about how hard that is kind of retaining a title. Um and I mean he's won three in a row twice and then he won kind of 93, 94, 96, 97. Do you know what I mean? There's there's spells where it's just it's just domination and I just, I have heard that from a few people as well that and they got back, there's your medals, well done, that's it, next one, training the next day. And I mean, I don't think you ever had a chance to kind of rest on your laurels, you were just right back at it. And if you want to be the most successful team, then that's probably the only way you could kind of 
Sure. No, I, I want to I want to rest on my laurels, please, Mister. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah. So yeah, coming off the back of that, nineteen eighty four, another Scottish Cup win. That was three Scottish Cups in a row, which I think was a record at the time. Uh, I'm not sure if it's been done since. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> uh, defended the league in eighty five, cup double in eighty six, which also. Uh, so yeah, defended the league in '85, and that's the last team outside of front to win it, and did the cup double in '86, and I think that's also the last team out with the old firm to do that. And of course, it'll be interesting to see if St Johnson can do that this season at the time of recording. St Johnson shaping up to face Hibs in the final in just over a week's time. Um, so yeah, the, these kind of records, which at the moment stand. Okay, so just a summary of his honours at Aberdeen. That's three Scottish leagues, four Scottish Cups, one League Cup. That includes a league, uh, league in Scottish... Start again. Just a summary of his honours at Aberdeen. That's three Scottish leagues he won, four Scottish Cups, one League Cup, which was in the 1986 Cup double year. 1983 Cup Winners' Cup and a 1983 Super Cup. So, not too bad. Just on that Cup double, we mentioned uh, how St. Johnston could be. I've just remembered there, Hibs actually came close. The year they won the Scottish Cup, they got to the League Cup final and lost to Ross County. I remember that, actually, yeah. Imagine that, them winning that, uh, having been in the Championship. That would probably be a record in itself, yeah. Just to kind of get an idea of some of Fergie's, uh, Fergie's techniques, and I've, I've filed this under strange disciplines. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just tell them and you'll find out why I've filed them under, under strange. So all from kind of Aberdeen. So the strange disciplines are, uh, the stories are both from Neil Cooper. So Neil Cooper bought a flat and he didn't tell anyone. Uh, I'm not sure why. And Fergie, you've always hear these stories, which is always ironic because he had a pub himself that, like, when the man knew players were out drinking and that, that he always knew. Always, yeah, I think it's gigs or something. Had a party once and Fergie showed up <laughs> and Beckham and all that were there and he chucked them all out or something. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so Neil Cooper bought a flat, didn't tell anyone, and Fergie had apparently spotted him coming out of this flat. And then one day in training, he called him into the office and was like, Whose flat is that? And Neil Cooper's like, it's mine. And he says, well, get rid of it. Get fucking rid of it. And that's why I found it strange. Neil Cooper told that story. It was on a BBC radio show. I googled it. You can find it on the BBC site. And he didn't really explain why Fergie wanted them to get rid of his flat. Do you know what I mean? I was sitting there listening like, right, buying a flat, is that, is it because he didn't tell Fergie where it was so that he could do his partying and stuff? Like, yeah. I don't know, he didn't really elaborate on that. But I thought that was a strange one. And then another one from Neil Cooper was that he went on holiday once, he's got quite fair hair, and he came back with even lighter hair. Fergie was like, take the wig off. And then he was like, it's no wig. And Fergie made him, instead of training, go and get a haircut somewhere in Aberdeen. Again. I'm not really sure why. Uh, it's one of these things he didn't elaborate. He just told these stories. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, strange kind of disciplines, if you like. Uh, but then another more kind of serious psychological one was 
in '85 when they did win the league, the last one uh, that a team outside Old Firm's done it that season in the running. Billy Stark missed a penalty against uh, Celtic, and you know they obviously do they do the post match and the changing room and stuff and stuff. But Billy Stark says that Shane and Dave's later. I was talking to Fergie, and Fergie just went, hope that penalty doesn't cost us the title, and then walked away. Whereas, like, they'd done the post-match now, he didn't really mention it. So Billy Stark's probably thinking at this point, like, right, he's giving me that kind of professional courtesy, penalty misses can happen. But then just a few days later, he's like, hope that doesn't cost us the title, and puts that kind of burden and pressure on Stark, but obviously still rankling with him a bit. Or it's almost like don't know if it was to motivate Stark or if it just wasn't blaming. But the fact is days later always interested me. You always think in the heat of the moment, yeah. you may think after, oh you missed that fucking penalty or whatever. But days later being like, I hope that doesn't cost the title, saying it to the person. I think uh no, I think I that kind of it's weird, but if it's like second thinking something happens, say at your work or just anything, and you think, oh, nobody says I've done this, I've made a mistake, and I said, you wait a few days. It's like you know, sometimes it just festers. Like another good story was um, when they played Hearts in the '86 Cup final, and obviously Hearts had lost the league the week before, and the most agonising kind of circumstances. And I mean, it's going to be hard getting yourself up for a a cup final anyway after that. But I mean, I remember reading a story and it was uh, the Hearts team getting off the bus and Fergie was like, just say to them when you're shaking their hands or can just uh, unlucky about last week or can hard lined. And they've tried to go a whole week without mentioning or m- talking about that kind of dramatic final day defeat. And you mentioned it to them on the day of the cup final, every bad memory is going to come flooding back. I mean, that's just, and I think, no, the moment they were talking about that, they were just demoralised, and I think they won three 0 So, I think I had these techniques. Um, there was another story. Sorry, this is just one that just came into my head. I always laugh at this when I read it. I always laugh. Um, it was Steve Archibald must have scored the hat trick against I don't know who, and uh, Fergie must have had a strange thing about him taking the match ball. He wouldn't let like the striker or the midfielder whoever scored the hat trick keep it. So Archibald obviously. Was like, no, I'm keeping the ball, I'm keeping the ball. Fergie's like, if you didn't, give me the fucking ball back. That's just the club rules, that's my rules. So one morning they were all having tea or coffee in the kind of a wee boot room, Fergie's office thing. And the door just kind of got opened slightly and a fucking football just got booted in. They went, there's your fucking ball back. <laughs> tea cups <laughs> everywhere, coffee <laughs> everywhere. I just, I always laugh, I think it's brilliant. Um, just like in the, oh, here's Fergie. But no, it was just a, uh, I just think stuff like that is just funny. Just going to be petty things like that. You don't know if he's just saying them to kind of rule the roost or if he's got some sort of kind of ploy for that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what's interesting. That story makes me think of like the story about him booting the boot at Beckham. I know that was like in more yeah, in the heat yeah. of the moment and stuff. But yeah, he had these... Yeah, I, I would love to be on like a fly on the wall in some of his like post-match oh. and stuff just to... Just to see, he's just yeah, such no. an interesting, uh, interesting character. I mean, I was going to say, I was just, just going to go back, just going to go back to Fergie, and just I think it was the kind of right time as well. I think timing's everything, not not just in football, just in general, in general life. And I think he had the kind of right infrastructure, infrastructure, sorry, um, 
the right players, the right kind of youth model as well. Um, he's always been good at kind of buying and selling, but you know, he's always had that kind of non for right youth players promoting, even just kind of getting people cheap from elsewhere. And I think over his whole Aberdeen career, kind of has managed to establish youth and can sell players on when they've kind of maybe not outstayed their welcome, but just kind of after he's got their use out of them, if that makes sense. Um, and when people kind of, I think Mark McGee was a big one, I think he started grumbling about Ken getting a bit too big for his boots. He was moved on. Um, Gordon Strachan, again, the kind of same. And he's always got a kind of contingency plan. How many teams or managers sell a couple of big name players and then they're like, oh, there's no anybody to replace them. Ferguson's always been one that's been one step ahead. In fact, I'd say two steps ahead. Maybe sometimes in the short run it doesn't work out as such. Like, again, jumping ahead here, but um, when he sold Paul Ince and Kachelskis at United mm-hmm. after the lost, uh, I think it was after the Blackburn won the title. And I got a lot of people at the time said it was a kind of a quick decision to you know, just heat the moment sort of stuff. But then he's got Nicky Butt, Scholes, Beckham, the Neville's coming in. He knew exactly what he was doing. And then the kind of rest of his history, that old, old cliche, but I think he, he'd always been um, two steps ahead in regards to kind of promoting youth. And as I said, as I said that timing is everything. And I think at Aberdeen, he just everything kind of fell into place for him, I'd say. Yeah. It's interesting, just a kind of side point you made because you mentioned Strachan and Mark McGee, that he coached a generation of managers. So uh, yeah, McLeish yeah. as well, and McLeish and Strachan obviously, and, and Mark McGee's had a, like a respectable FPL career, but McLeish and Strachan have achieved quite quite a lot as managers as well. Yeah, Nothing yeah. comparable to Fergie, but Fergie is almost a, a freak case. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and that's his influence, if 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 you like. They must they must have picked up personality traits and oh, and things from Ferguson that they carried into their careers. Yeah, I think it's as you say, it's quite freaky when you you read or you see how many managers have actually played under. You've got the likes of like Steve Bruce, Roy Keane, Mark Hughes. There's just there's so many. Um, obviously, we're kind of different. Varying degrees of success. But, <laughs> I saw that um, you mentioned Keane as well. Yeah, uh, I, know, I was going to say, that's not a bad example, but as you said, that's there's just, as you said, they've obviously picked up mm-hmm. certain kind of personality, personality traits, just psychological games, just just anything that's kind of helped them. And I think he's always been helpful, well, with most people I thought I've read about kind of going into coach and stuff, but it is just a a ludicrous amount of people that have kind of been influenced by him directly. Not even anyone can say, oh, I was influenced by Guardiola if you're starting off at like a League Two club. But I mean, not many people who've played under him are going to go on to be relatively successful. That's just the kind of way it goes. But he is definitely um, one of a kind in that regards, for sure. Absolutely. So that basically... Uh, takes us kind of to the end of his Aberdeen career November 86 joined Man U 
Um, <laughs> we're obviously not here to talk about that, but it'd be a mess if we didn't cover it. Um, <laughs> it just gets silly at this point, doesn't it? Um, his success. We know it didn't start great for him. I think it's well documented that he struggled at the start. Certainly turned it around. Um, so just to kind of do an overhaul of well, just a summary of his trophies in Aberdeen and then Man U, right? So just to kind of finish off the Aberdeen section, uh, three Scottish League titles, four Scottish Cups and one League Cup, one Cup Winners' Cup and one European Super Cup. And of, of course, the season they won the League Cup was the Cup double season. And that was from uh, 1980. No, sorry, 1978 uh, to 1986. Uh, so, so, yeah, yeah, 1988. Yeah, 1978 to 1987, sorry, yeah. So, you know, that, right, if, if you look at that in isolation, excluding what he's done with Man U for now, in terms of, like, Scotland, outside Rangers and Celtic, that's, like, m- monumental. Um, oh, yeah. So let's, yeah, just... Summary of Man U's trophies. So, if I've counted this right, it's 13 Premier Leagues, five FA Cups, four League Cups, two European Cups, a Cup Winners' Cup as well with Man U, which I think is sometimes forgotten about. Yeah. Uh, a European Super Cup, an Intercontinental Cup, and a FIFA Club World Cup. I think the Intercontinental thing might have been the same thing as the FIFA Club World Cup before, right. FIFA, before FIFA officially kind of took it on. I'm not so sure. But yeah, it, it just gets silly that, you know, you achieve that with Aberdeen, you go to England and it was just, at what, what age would I have been? About 20? I'd have been about 20 when he retired and, you know, he was the manager of Man U when I was born. <laughs> you hear, you, you compare that to Bill Struth, Jockstein, yeah. people who are managers for long periods of time and their influence in the game is just like monumental. But to have it in the modern day is like so rare. Yeah, I think. Well, I think the kind of most interesting period is obviously how many trophies he's won and the success and the kind of dynasties he's built. I think one of the key things for me with Sir Alex Ferguson that kind of takes him past anyone else is he's not just Pep Guardiola built an excellent team or he had the kind of space there to build an excellent team. And he'd done well three, four years spell. Arguably probably one of the best club sides ever. It pains me to say it. But that was for three or four years. Ferguson had three or four great teams. Like it's it's like what what this maybe sounds like a daft analogy, but it's like I, I love watching golf off playing golf, so I'm gonna gonna base it on this. It's like a kind of golfer kind of changing his swing when he's at the top, like Tiger Woods, Nick Faldo. Why do you need to do it? Because there's always someone, there was always a way to do it better. That's Ferguson. So when he sold these players after 94, 95, oh, that was a brilliant team to win the double. Man United's first ever league title and uh, first league title, sorry, in 27 years, I think it was. 26 years. Why change it? Because there's always a way of kind of moving up, doing it better. And then he done it after kind of won the Champions League. So I mean, 2003 and four, after like 2003. We kind of had a tail off, and then he built another excellent team, Rooney, Tevez, Ronaldo. It's just, it's just but, remarkable. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say earlier. You mentioned how he, how he sells, 
he, he seemed comfortable selling um, big names and, and, and good yeah. players. Uh, and he always replaced them as some managers are reluctant to sell good players. And when the club take it out of their hands, they struggle. Where, I mean, I suppose, yeah, he, he did have dips, but he always brought it back. And there was always that trust there. And as you say, he was manager for such a length of time that at the end of his career, yeah, if you look at anyone's career, they're not you don't win all the time in football, nobody no, does. Yeah. But you can actually point to several different periods of dominance that he had. Um, so, yeah, like that kind of era where you had like Van Nistelrooy and Beckham and stuff. Sells Beckham. Yeah. I think the same summer they might have signed Ronaldo. And I'm not yeah. saying that that's like for like as such and Ronaldo's a young boy. But that's yeah. coming into the next phase of dominance um, as, as Arsenal, I think, when the league for Chelsea were coming into it by that time. And then Man U, you know, like seven, eight, nine champ, Champions League finals again, playing Barcelona and stuff. So, yeah, the, the, the point I'm making is, yeah, you, you're, you're spot on. He had these different periods of sustained success with a transition in between which, yeah. you know, you feel like he was fully in control of almost. Even even the transitions are still like, look at just, for example, say, look at Chelsea a couple of years ago. They won the league under Mourinho, 2015. And then the next season, they finished, what, ninth, tenth or that? After United won the third title in the row, 2001, I think the season after was the first time they'd finished more than second since 1991, I think. I mean, even like in a period of transition, and then the year after that, he won the title again. It's just remarkable how, when you look at the kind of record and you look at the league table from Man United from 92 to 2013, I'm sure he only finished third twice or two or three times, maybe three times. Do you mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous how consistent he was. And as I said, it kind of goes back to my earlier point. He, he just always had, he was always kind of two steps ahead of everyone else. And as you say, Selwyn Beckham, he brings Ronaldo in. Yeah, maybe coincidental, but he knew how to spot talent as well. Um, and I think, again, this is kind of jumping back to when he first started at United. I think he wanted it to be his way. That's true. I get your point. I'm saying it. it's just, um, it must be so hard kind of going in that environment. But I don't think Fergie actually cared what I was think, thought of him. I figured he went into Man United, he seen it was a kind of drinking culture. I mean, you had uh, Paul McGrath, uh, Norman Whiteside and stuff like that. Great players, but it was just, they were just drinking too much. So he just kind of thought, no, selling them, and that's it. Did it bring him success in the short term? Like, no. Would it have been offered that amount of time, like, in today's game? Definitely not. And again, it comes back to what I said earlier, timing. He was just in that right place at the right time. He was a man, I think... Matt Busby knew he was a man to kind of bring them out or the kind of post well, post Busby reign. Do you know what I mean? I won a couple of FA Cups and whatnot, but he just he came in and he just kind of changed everything. It took time, but all good things take time. There you go. There's Mark in there. Poor, poor joke for that. But you get what I'm trying to say. That's just... Um, that kind of initial three or four year period is probably the most fascinating for me because any 
our man probably would have chucked it or would have just lost the kind of nerve. Do you know what I mean? I would have just got to that stage where, what am I doing here? I'm never going to be able to achieve what's been done in the past. But he stuck at it, and that's probably the greatest trait he had. Resilience. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I think... I don't think there's anything more for us to really to really add there. I think I mean everybody knows Fergie, born winner, um, focused a bit on Aberdeen, but yeah, it's it's just absolutely crazy, just his career as a whole. Um, yeah. You know, his playing career. We've talked about how he were probably was unfortunate. Uh, played for Rangers, probably good, great goal scoring record possibly wrong era to play for Rangers. Um, success at St Mirren, success at Aberdeen, success at Man U. Just simple as that. Uh, yeah, you, you mentioned drinking culture. It's uh, funny, probably uh, it, it's ironic that he had his pub and he didn't like the drinking culture. I wonder what the reaction would have been if they're in his pub on the Paisley Road West. Uh, I've, I've just Googled it. It was indeed on the Paisley Road West. Right, okay. Brilliant, mate. I think that's it. Thanks very much for uh, for coming on. That was a, a pleasure as always. Thanks for having me. Have you got any uh, any wee plugs for any other work coming up? Um, Christ, I'm trying to put them on the spot here. Uh, <laughs> I'm, to be honest, I'm just kind of trying to focus on. In fact, no, I haven't got one. Sorry, um, for the tartan scarf, um, the excellent uh, page on Scottish football. Um, I've got a Euro '92 piece of Scotland at Euro '92 that should be coming out fairly soon. But um, follow the tartan scarf because they're absolutely brilliant. Um, some really good stuff just for Scotland in general, um, kind of past, present, future. Um, so yeah, a lot yeah. of piece coming out for them, and it's just kind of focusing on the book. Got a few odd bits, uh, articles hopefully lined up. Um, I've got a few ideas over the use as well. Hopefully, yeah, nice one, yeah. And yeah, I know Gordon from Tartan Scarf was uh, yeah. bought one of my Scotland bobble hats. Let's see if we've got one here. There we go. Oh, uh, yeah, I still need you buy one of those. Aye, absolutely. I, buy, I mean, it's I a, a, a bit out of it's a bit out of season now, but there you go. Ah, it's, it's I was fine. quite chuffed with that actually. The way it came yeah, out, nah, spidery and stuff. Yeah, um, Gordon's, uh, Gordon's got a good thing going there, definitely. So, uh, looking forward to getting that on the site as well. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So, yeah, check check them out and thanks Gordon for the uh, for the purchase. Of course, if anybody else is listening, wants to check out northsection.co.uk, have most. Uh, some some Scotland stuff on it as well, but most mostly club stuff at, at the moment. Certainly, uh, the kind of top six Scottish teams, both the Dundee clubs, Aberdeen, St Johnston, Rangers, Celtic, um, and then lots of English Premiership, Championship stuff there as well. Always growing the collection. Most of the prints are done by D Griffin Art, so yeah, check them out and uh, check his pages out as well. Uh, and yeah, that, that's us. Thanks very much. Oh, thanks again. Appreciate it.